You could not live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. Alright boys and girls, here we go with events. Couple weeks left to get in the August 13th through the 15th seminar in Wichita Falls with a few spots left. After that, October 15th through the 17th and then December 10th through the 12th to round out 2021. For training camps coming up, we have a couple three-lift camps on the list. That's the squat, press, and deadlift. We're doing two of those in London, England on September 5th and then one on September 12th. And then Baltimore 5x3 Training is hosting a three-lift camp on November 7th. We also have a self-sufficient lifter camp coming up on September 11th in Wichita Falls covering the squat, the press, the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. One spot lift for the deadlift and power clean camp in Moodis, Connecticut at Anino Strength on July 31st. And then we have a couple squat and deadlift camps on the list, August 21st in Fort Worth, Texas, and then August 29th in Austin at Starting Strength Austin. September 12th will be the 10th annual Charm City Strong Woman event. That is a charity event raising money for the Almond House, which is a home away from home for folks undergoing cancer treatment. 5x3 Training is hosting that in Baltimore. Starting Strength Gyms continue to open new locations with more on the list. To find a gym near you or to request a location, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And who knows, you might get to interact with Ray Gillenwater. Ray Gillenwater recently tried to tell me what the actual translation of his name is. Something to do with chairs or a wheelchair or a sofa. I don't know. I really wasn't paying attention. But anyways, if you have any questions about anything else that I've mentioned, Head over to StarringStrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Hi. Hi there. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. This is me being nice. Why am I being nice? I thought it was time. Right? Every once in a while, a guy needs to be nice, doesn't he? So this is this is nice Friday, <laughs> and in contrast to me being nice, these are coming from, from the haters. The haters. You had a good A, what is it, A-M-S-R, A-R-S-M. That where ASMR? People, ASMR, where people talk real quiet. What the hell are you talking about? Is that some acronym? That, I don't know what the acronym stands for, but it's people just like talking in a microphone, very soothing. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. No idea what the fuck you're talking about. All right, here's a man by the name of Ben Wasilewski. This is in reference, oh, this Alex Jones thing. That y'all put up. Well, that really pisses him off. It does. We need to get him on. 
Oh, he's not going to come on. Oh, we need to get him on. What we what we need to do? We need to get Johnny Carson on here. <laughs> but he's dead, so that can't happen either. Okay, that's what we need to do. We need to get John Adams, second president. If of the only United we States. could get John. We need Adams. to get John all Adams. All we got to do. That's all we got to do. We need to get him on. Right. But he's dead. So. So Ben says, with respect to me and Nick and everybody agreeing that, you know, Alex Jones is an obnoxious <laughs> asshole, but that he's right. You know, he some turned out some a lot of the time he's yep. right. Ben's intelligent remark here is this is pathetic. Concise, if, man. if there's not if there's not another common feature of the comments from the haters, it is that they are dismissive. Yes. Dismissiveness is the common thread. Not compatible with Nice Friday, no. by the way. No. Not at all. No, not at all. Uh, this is, <laughs> Why is he whispering like that? <laughs> I thought this was a strength channel. Now it's guns unsubscribed. Good. Devastating, man. You're gone. Devastating. What are we going to do without him? Here's another one that's probably gone. Uh, a rip. I'm here for lifting advice, not anti-science, anti-equality, anti-progressive agenda conspiracy theories. This individual. That's actually the uh, description yeah. of our channel. That's, uh, this is, describes somebody that we don't want to <laughs> yeah, no listen shit. to us. Yeah. We don't want you to listen to us because you are a California piece of shit. All right? And they shouldn't want to listen to us. Why would they want to Why listen to me? Why would they want me? to? What have we ever said that was California on here? What what position have we ever espoused that any Californian would agree with? It's weird. I mean, it's not like they're a different species. Yeah. Out there, their little brains just don't engage with the math, logic, science stuff. We're anti-science. Right, right. You think it's too you much You know what science? science is? What science is? It's what CNN says it is. What Dr. Fauci says it is. It's what Dr. Fauci says it is. Uh, let's see. All right. Alex Jones again. Good God, it's bad enough that you guys would be praising a conspiracy theorist like Jones. <laughs> That's the worst thing you can be as a conspiracy yeah. theorist. Yep. Is that worse than being a racist? It, right now it is, yes. Is it really? I would say so. How can you be worse than a racist? Anti-vaxxer conspiracy anti theorists. Yeah. That's it's pretty much the worst. Anti-vax is anti-science, right? Yeah. Anti-vax is conspiracy theorists. It's funny right. because his anti-vax shit used to be a very squarely on. The oh, that left. was that was a leftist deal. Very. You don't get your look. Don't let your right. children get the measles vaccine yep. because they'll get autism. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. But now. Everybody's got to have the vaccine. Right. Except for the measles vaccine. Yep. Oh, and whatever you do, 
don't vaccinate them for polio. Don't do that. Because we like seeing little kids rolling around in wheelchairs. Yeah. God damn. Oh, I'm so sickening. All right. So, praising the conspiracy theorists like Jones. But you decided to clip this video and post it on YouTube? <laughs> Are you that desperate for attention and views? Well, yeah. In fact, we kind of are. Let's see. All right, now we get back to the standard obesity stuff. How can you represent starting strength and be so obese? SMH. What's SMH mean? Shaking my head, right? Yeah. Shaking my head. Mm. Who decided SMH was shaking my head? Shaking my head. 14 year old, 15 years ago. Texting on Oh, yeah. So you got to shake your head when you read that. Yeah, just like that. A lot of obesity in this video. (laughs) You know what video this is? No, which one is that? Starting Street (laughs) Network preview, Nick and Rusty. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Rusty's obese. Yeah, I'm obese now. For sure. Man, the bar is lower and lower and lower. Next time we got to do it shirtless. Well, fucking, I'm game. I mean, they already think we're, you know, both of us are. Here, this is in Shit. response to the uh, significance of the big vertical jump preview. The only thing this guy jumps for is pancakes. There you go. I'll jump for pancakes. There you go. I fucking love pancakes. Man, pancakes. That's a good, clean hater comment. Yeah. That's a good one. Here is Abu Sami. L M A O. Like laughing my ass off. <laughs> right. An ass he no doubt does not have. <laughs> this channel can't get any worse. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Good. <laughs> that's the Starting Straight Network preview with Nick and Russell. Oh, but oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, but wait. But wait. There's more. <laughs> they hate us. Ugh. All right. And here is our last one. Um, this is uh, gaining 60 pounds in four months at Star Trek Dallas. Where Carter took that little skinny fuck and made a human male out of him. Right. Is there anybody on SS who actually is looking good? <laughs> These people want to see 63125. Abs. With that, abs. Yeah, that anything abs. more than that, and you're obese. Yep. Sinewy and abs. That kid in that video didn't look, I mean, he, he looked, looked normal. normal. He looked normal. He looked fine. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. 60 pounds, and I guess. But these much. fucking idiots, you know. Right. I'm surprised there weren't more like. I, Steroid comments on that one or something, because you can't gain sixty pounds in oh no you can't in four months you, it's obviously, impossible. Obviously, you want to gain sixty pounds on steroids, and if you did, it's mostly fat. Yeah, as evidenced by the yeah. gentleman in the video. Right, mm-hmm. as evidenced by the gentleman's lifts in the video. Right, yeah, right, right. As a general rule, anybody that is stronger than you are is on steroids. Yep. That's always been the that's the general rule. Yeah. 
because there's got to be a reason <laughs> yep. that someone is stronger than you mm-hmm. or is guilty better, of something or is better than you, know, you at something or better than you <clears throat> or smarter than you or whatever yep. what what have you done if you're smarter than these haters um paid attention been white and rich <laughs> 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 privileged so enough of that time wasted on comments Comments. from From the heaters oh shit so I don't know are there any companies we need to call this time to settle any Disputes. disputes. <laughs> Who'd we call last time? We called the, the Avery Island. Avery Island. Is that who that was? Yeah, that was yeah Tabasco. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Tabasco. Tabasco. See, I've changed. Wait, I'm disappointed. We, we were we were discussing. I'm really if disappointed. You were I thought you were going to call it Tabasco yeah, or not. Pretty. I intentionally mispronounced it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tabasco sauce. It's always been Tabasco sauce. Always will be. <laughs> always will be Tabasco sauce. War is, you, you, war is peace. War is peace, love is hate. Freedom is freedom is slavery. slavery. <laughs> Tabasco is Tabasco. <laughs> always has been. Always has been. It's always been that way. Eurasia <laughs> has always been at war with Oceania. So, uh, no. All right, so we got questions today from our subscribers on the Starting Strength Network. And uh, Tony Tony Linnell Parham says, Rip and crew, I hope you're all doing well. My wife and I are getting ready for our second child, another boy. I was planning on getting a vasectomy shortly after my newborn shoots out of the womb. (laughs) And I was wondering if any of you have had this operation. If so, is there anything I need to be concerned about? Why is he waiting until the baby uh, comes out? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Probably it. just in case. Because yeah. just in case it's what not. What if he st- gets her pregnant it's still in the born. meantime? What if he gets her pregnant in the meantime? Well, what if it's stillborn? Yeah, that it have to be his concern. Yeah. Well, it's true. Of course, that you, you know that now. It's 2021. Right. You would know ahead of time. We know the name of the baby before it's born. We know. Uh, you don't know the gender though. Don't fuck this up. No, you don't know the gender. You don't know the gender. No, you don't. Because the gender gets decided. And it would be child abuse to to assign a gender before the baby came. The child decides its gender when it's two. When it's, it's, you know, equipped to do that. Between three Uh, and 12. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because children are so um, good at knowing things. Yeah. And they usually tend to do fine unless... Unless something is maybe some idea is incepted. Right. You know. Right. They usually tend to figure it out on their own. Right. Yeah, they do. It's and it's you know how long it's been that way? Hundred thousand? Fifty million three million. Well, no, let's see. We were modern humans and modern human modern homo sapiens is Oh, 150,000 years old, something. Yep. You know, human society has been around for 
I mean, hunter-gatherers were, hell, Homo erectus was probably lived in bands and was, you know, organized at some level. Yep. You know, which meant there was a social structure, and Neanderthals had a social structure. So it's been going on a long, long time. time. What <clears throat> the hell did we ever do before the University of California system decided that gender was far more important than physical sex. Well, they had more important things to worry about, like eating, yeah, eating, hunting and gathering, working, working, getting something fucking accomplished. Not getting, uh, <laughs> yeah, not getting mauled by the instead of tigers. the only thing <laughs> these idiots have accomplished is tenure. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Okay, now. Uh, Back to the vasectomy. No, I haven't had a vasectomy. Me either. You had one? No. Rusty? No, I've had two friends that had them relatively young. They said it wasn't a big deal. Bree, you had a vasectomy? She's, so none of us have had any experience with so it. So what does he want to know? What what happens? Uh, he wants to know if he should be concerned oh. uh, about having a vasectomy. From talking with you know, I I'll bet that there is... Uh, some literature on that. I'd like to know if, and of course everybody's going to tell you it doesn't, but I'd like to know if having a vasectomy affects testosterone levels. Mm. I don't know. Yep. I don't know. I'm not saying it does. I'm just wondering if it does. Right. So. Uh, it's an interesting question. It is an interesting I mean, question. it's like the You're last. You monkeying around with shit down there and. Uh, I wonder how much of that mechanism you're fucking with other than, like, the last mile, so to speak. Right? Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would, you know, it would create any problems. I know that I want the man, you know, in there with a knife. <laughs> I think they carterize it. I mean, what if he coughs at the wrong time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Catches a Tony, we can't help you, man. Uh, I suggest you look that up. Yeah. Uh, Justin says, how's it going, Rip? I was wondering what good-tasting foods are the most calorically dense, protein-packed, and contain lots of carbohydrates. Examples for breakfast, lunch, and dinner would be appreciated. That would have to be meals, right? Mm-hmm. Not foods. Uh, well... Uh, the t- t- good tasting foods that are most calorically dense generally would good be the ones with <laughs> uh, with fat in them. Yeah, generally because good tasting means calorically dense. Good tasting means calorically dense, and it means fat. Right. So, uh, but he also he threw carbohydrates in there, which yeah. Means, well, which I'm means gonna suggest gonna to that uh, roast pork and mashed potatoes. Oh shit! Yeah. Is. Uh, I mean, if you're looking for good tasting and calorically dense, roast pork, leave the fat on, and uh, mashed potatoes. And the way you make the mashed potatoes, I think we did this on the, didn't we do this yeah, on we the cafe this. show? Mm-hmm. We did mashed potatoes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did, but here's the here's another trick for mashed potatoes we didn't do. Mash up the potatoes, use some, drain all the water off the potatoes before you mash them. Put some half and half on them, and then take about half a block of cream cheese. Mm. Add 
whip the potatoes up with that cream cheese and Holy half shit. and half. Oh. And that's it. Oh. That sounds real fucking good. Oh, it's, oh yeah. It's real Very good. nice. It's real good. Very yeah. nice. A little salt. And salt and pepper. The roast. That, you got to tell people about the roast pork, too, because, I mean, we've done it at seminars and stuff. We just stick it in the oven. Oh, that's all. Uh, yeah, salt, you, pepper. Done. We took a, a frozen piece of pork shoulder out of the freezer the other day at 3 o'clock, put it in the oven at 375 for an hour, turned it down to 275 for two hours, and then turned it down to two and a quarter for three more hours. And it comes out, and it's, a, you know. It's hard it, to mess up. It, it, you really can't fuck it up. Yeah. It's, it's real, real difficult. But another thing that needs to be kept in, in mind is right now, roast pork, pork roast is still cheap. Yep. That's about the only goddamn thing in the store that is. Right. You know, you can get Boston butt, which is a pork shoulder. Why do they call it a butt when it's a shoulder? I don't know. I'm not from Boston. But this is uh, still, you know, it's way less than $3 a pound. Yep. And it's got a big shoulder blade in it. you got to bone that out. Or you, you can roast it with the shoulder blade still in it and get a eight pound roast for 15 bucks right. and we've been i mean we've done this at seminars where we uh put it in at eight or se- seven in the morning before we go to the seminar right yeah. and then we come back at eight having yeah. it sitting in there all day at 250 yeah and it's it's delicious yeah you don't have to you don't have to adjust the temperature <clears throat> if, you, if you are gonna leave it long enough the easiest thing on earth to do is to stick the damn thing in the oven before you go to bed. Yep. At about 250, frozen. Stick it in the oven at 250, frozen. And you get up the next day and you got a pork roast. Right. You know, some people salt and pepper it before they cook it. Some people just stick it in there without anything on it and then cut it and. And it's better in Season. the oven than in a, in a crock pot because the crock, oh, pot crock pot's bullshit. Turns it you into, you, you into put mush. it in a roasting pan in an oven. Yeah. Because so you, you get got a crust a, on it. You got a crust on it. Right. Absolutely. Yep. And then you get fancy with the the crust. Yep. Rosemary and black pepper is always good on a pork roast. You know, you can put uh, sambal oleic. Oh, right. Yeah. On it. Oh, it's good like that. There's enough salt in that, you know. Yep. That shit is so good on it. it just it makes a little there's this beautiful dark crust on the thing. So uh There you go. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Greatly breakfast is eight eggs. Bacon and sausage. Bacon, sausage, bowl of oatmeal. Right? Don't overcook your oatmeal. If you're asking me, don't overcook your oatmeal. Well, you, well, you make oatmeal, you, you put about that much water in your little pan, and then you bring the water to a boil, and then you put the oats in. This is not the quick cooking oats. It's the old-fashioned oats. And then the boil will subside, and in about 15, 20 seconds, it regains the boil. Then you turn the heat off, put the lid on it. 
and then let it sit there about 10 minutes and uh, take butter, cinnamon, handful of raisins. Shit, even Brie can eat that. If, if you're a child, you could put brown sugar in it. You know, there you go. Bree's not going to eat raisins. She won't eat the raisins. She's not going to eat the raisins. They're dark. <laughs> colorful. They look colorful. different. <laughs> they look different. <laughs> okay, so. Are those uh, rolled lunch, Are those dinner? rolled oats or steel cut or does it matter? Do you oh, like That's the, rolled oats. Do you oats. like them rolled? Steel cut oats is a different thing. It takes longer to cook those. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't eat that shit. That's European. What about lunch? Lunch and dinner are the same thing. Got it. You could take that. You got roast. Pork. You could take that pork and make a sandwich. You you make a roast pork sandwich. You know, seventy five years ago, all the cafes all in Texas had a roast had a pork roast. Yep. And you'd have a you could order an open faced pork sandwich. So they put the two pieces of bread, the toast on the, and they put pork on both sides, put gravy on top of it. And and it's hard to beat that shit. Yep. So, yeah. And uh, dinner, of course, is the pork roast with the dolled up mashed potatoes. Yep. Uh, let's see here. All right. Question about your presentation on the power equation. Zach the Jew is asking. See how diverse we are? Very diverse. <laughs> <laughs> take questions from actual Jews. Yeah. Yep. Who are not white people. Nope. I mean, are they? Well, it depends. Do they identify as white? It depends. That's the perfect. Depends on where they are that's that That's the day. perfect answer, too, in, in Jew terms. it's It depends. It depends. Yep. What do you want to It always depends. Okay. So Zach the Jew wants to know about... Uh, the presentation on power equation. I want wanted to clarify for myself the meaning of each variable. Variable, mostly the D. That wasn't exactly clear to me. If I understood correctly, D does not equal the actual distance of the jump, i.e. how high I jump, but rather the distance over which the force is produced during the force production event that results in the jump, meaning my contact with the floor as I jump. Is that correct? If it is, that means the distance of the contact of my foot with the floor or the full distance of my body as it moves through the jump from the bottom to the top before my foot leaves the floor. I don't really understand that part of the question, but uh, in, in terms of the power equation, which is P, power equals force times distance quantity, right, divided by time, which is the denominator. So the numerator is F force, how much force you produced, over what distance you produced it. So clearly you are producing the force over the distance it takes you to produce the concentric knee and hip extension. That distance would be from the bottom of the stretch reflex position, the jumping position we would call it, if we were doing a power clean, to the point at which your feet break the floor. Now, how would you measure that distance? Well, it's 
you could assign an arbitrary point in the middle of the body, paint a dot on the shirt or something like that and measure that distance. Point, of course, is, is that is going to be essentially a constant for each individual, right? That's if you want to measure that, but that that is a constant. And the thing about the D in the power equation is that it doesn't do anything to to affect really the outcome of the of the of the the pro the the, the, the sum of the of the total power involved in the production. So the the critical thing is not D, and we always have said this in our explanation of this. D is an artifact of the test. Okay, like if you're going to measure D for a power clean, what's D? D is going to be the distance from the bar on the floor to the distance uh, to the point at which you rack it on your shoulder. And for power cleans, that pretty much is the same thing for each rep. Well, it'd be the same thing. It'd be when your feet leave the ground. Yeah, the, from the D is yes, is, the, from, from where you where your where feet, feet break the ground. the ground and you rack should be essentially simultaneous. <clears throat> so the the D is always really a function of the of the of what you're, of the, of of what you're, you're testing, it. right? Yep. Right. The the two critical factors are T, which is the denominator. All right. Now doing the algebra, the smaller the value of the denominator, the larger the value of P. So in a standing vertical jump test, what we are measuring is the time it takes to generate the force that produces the jump. And once again, that is the time spent during the concentric extension of the knees, hips, and ankles. All right, the, the triple extension, as they call it. This is why it's confusing, though, because you're, you're, we're essentially saying the same thing. The D and the T are going to be the amount of time slash distance that you're pushing. Like if you were standing on a scale, you would measure it by the heavy, the, the force that registers on that scale. Right. If you're on a force plate, the, the, yeah, which the, is essentially a scale. It's ex exactly. Is, but, but what we're actually what we're actually describing with T is – is how long you, how it takes you to, con to motor unit call the motor units right. into contraction to produce the physical force necessary to accelerate your body's mass to a sufficient velocity as the force production stops as your feet leave the floor and and therefore the momentum which is a function of your body's mass and the velocity with which it is traveling when it leaves the floor, that generates the distance that the, your body moves off the yeah. ground. Yeah, so the output, the, the final output is separate from the power equation. So in other words, the distance that you jump, like the, the actual number, 24 inches, 38 inches, whatever that is, that's, that output is separate from the power equation. The power equation is what is what what produces the resulting momentum and all that stuff that gives you mm -hmm. the output. So the weight on the bar, the racking of the bar, that's that's all the output, but that, that's separate from the power equation. The power equation is is how much force can you put into the ground if you're measuring a ground reaction or in a period in a period of, of in time. In a very short period right. of time. 
So, right. so the way the way I uh, I've explained it to to like uh, developing coaches is is T is your is your neuromuscular efficiency. D is the test. Don't worry about D. Don't worry about D. And then F is your is your strength. It's your force production, right? So yes. And of those three variables, which one is trainable? Exactly. That's the real question here. Right. Which one is trainable? Uh, the one that is trainable is F. That's how much force you can produce during that very, very short period of time. So you know, I was going to guess how much time you spent in the concentric phase of that jump. I would say that it's quarter of a second. Yeah, something like that. It, it not it's certainly not any more than that. Right. Now, you can affect the P variable by either reducing T. So if it's a quarter of a second, you could take it down to point two two seconds, but probably not. Because it, that has other that, implications. Because because that's genetics. Right, it has other implications too. How much how much more force are you going to be able to put in with that shorter If you of cut a time? down on the time. Yeah, because right? it's always time dependent. If you cut yes, in fact, if you cut down on the time, you're probably going to cost yourself velocity. Right. Because of the fact that you don't have as much time to recruit the motor units into 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 contraction. But that having been said, the difference in a guy with a 36-inch vertical and a guy with a 22-inch vertical is how many motor units he can get into contraction in that quarter of a second. Yep. A guy with a low vertical jump can only recruit, just to pull out of my ass a number, 25% of his motor units. You know, the guy with a 46-inch vertical, he's calling into contraction 65% of his of his motor units. And that's right. why that test is so good because it's self-limiting in terms of there's no right. technique. How no much technique. how much you can't game it. You can't game and if you can game it it's going to it's going to net you such a small output, such right. a small return that it doesn't matter. Right. Game it's it as test. much as you want. We use the test to determine your genetics. We don't use the test to determine how good you are at passing a test. Yep. Okay, this is this is uh, we have this a. This is like an IQ test. Yeah, we have you know? exactly. You can't you can't game it. We've got a very popular strength and conditioning coach here in Wichita Falls, who brags after twelve weeks of taking a, a, a high school kid, adding half an inch, one inch, to a to a standing vertical jump. You can do that just with practice, but how much? What What does that but actually it, tell it, you? What does it tell what you that you don't you? already know? If you've got a kid with a thirty-six inch vertical, and you work with that kid for a for a month, and you're getting up thirty-six and a half, how is that useful data? Right. Yeah, you <laughs> haven't it, actually improved their power. No, no. You've just you, you've just made you, them a little bit better at a little doing bit better at taking the, the test, job. and right. that's not why we do the test. Exactly. We want the test to tell us. Who's got the 36 as opposed to who's got the 22? Right. Right. All right. And of those three variables, F is the one that's trainable. Force production, strength is the one that's trainable. And when we talk about. Now. The, yeah, go ahead. But, all right. So let me, 
let me let me let me point something very very important out here. All right, if I take a kid with a twenty-two inch vertical jump, and I'm and I take his squat from one thirty-five to four oh five, have I made him any more explosive? No. No, I haven't. I haven't made him more explosive. But what have I done to P? I've made his power go up. In other words, the kid doesn't hit you any faster, but he hits you three times harder. So I've made him more useful on the field, even though he's not an explosive athlete. All right? Now, what is it about the squat that's different than the standing vertical jump. Standing vertical jump takes place, the, the, the meat of the standing vertical jump takes place in a quarter of a second. How long does a one rep max squat last? Five, six, Five, seven. six, seven, eight seconds yep. maybe, <clears throat> right? In other words, the standing vertical jump gives me only a quarter of a second to recruit as many motor units into contraction as I can get. Whereas the eight second one RM squat gives me eight seconds. Now, which of these two events is going to allow me to recruit more motor units into contraction? The squat, right? So if I'm trying to increase strength, I'm trying to increase the ability to generate force by recruiting more and more and more motor units into contraction, why would I waste time jumping? By definition, you can't put as many motor units into contraction, and therefore you can't train as many motor units to produce force. This is why the standing vertical jump is a test. Right? It's also why if you take that kid from 135 to 405 on his squat, you still have not increased his vertical jump more than 10 or 15%. To the extent you can increase his standing vertical jump, increasing his force production will do it. But it's just not that trainable because the standing vertical jump test measures what happens in a quarter of a second. And what happens in a quarter of a second is genetics. So there's no, there's no value in, there's little, very little value in testing it beyond one or two times. But, but none. Beyond the first time. There's, no, there's none because it gives you no additional information. It gives you no additional benchmark. There's Precise. no standard that you, that you can apply. It's just a test of, of, of genetics. It's a test of who you got in the locker room. And therefore, room. yeah. And, and Who's in the fucking locker yeah. room. So there's people that listen to this and, and hear you talking about uh, vertical jump as if it's something they're going to be able to improve or how do I make it better or why. It doesn't right. fucking matter. You're missing the point. It doesn't You're matter. You're missing the point. Right. If, if I take a group of 20 kids and I'm going to put them on my team, I want to know who the starters are going to be. Starters are going to be the ones with the big vertical jump. Now, after I test that, I know what I need to know. 
I already know that I don't keep doing the standing vertical jump because I can't make them more explosive. And this is what is wrong with this rate of force production right. training bullshit that has become so popular in college weight rooms all over the country. It's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. The point of the weight room is to get the squat, the deadlift, the bench press, and the press up, and to practice that explosion with power cleans and power snatches. Okay, that's the point. That's the whole point. The point is not to do things that are explosive. The point is to make P go up. And you make P go up by making F go up. And that's it. Anything else means that you don't understand the algebra, all right? And, you know, you're a PE major, so I, you know. <laughs> guess yeah, there's we gotta, a, there's, guess we got to cut you some slack on that. Huh? There, there's, no, there's hardly any value in anybody testing their vertical jump even, especially well, if you're not 20. What the fuck? Who cares? Yeah, if you're not. Who cares? If, if, why would a 50-year-old man test his vertical jump? Right. I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's not going to be very happy. <laughs> you're going to be unhappy. You're not going to be <laughs> proud of yourself if you test your vertical jump when you're 50 because all of those motor units that can be called into contraction right now yep. are gone. <laughs> yeah. You lose power as you get older. I'm sorry. Yeah. And if you, have, if you have a big vertical jump, you already know that you do. Like nobody shows up at a team and says – Hey, let me play here. I've got a 36-inch vertical jump. Like there shit has happened leading up to that point that everybody already knows what you are and who you are. And you by can the way, identify kids that are sure. going to have a big vertical they're jump. They're already playing sports. When they're kids. They're already playing sports at a high <laughs> they're, level. They're standouts in peewee football. Yep. You know. And again, that's just a data point cuz even even you got a guy who's got a high vertical jump doesn't tell you shit about their work, work ethic, ethic. Yeah. are they going to show up you know all that other you know stuff, i mean so. if you've got an if you got your choice between an athlete with a 28 inch vertical jump who will get in there and work his ass off and just won't leave all day mm -hmm. or an athlete with a 36 inch vertical jump that doesn't give a shit right that does the minimum he needs to do to get by i'll take the 28 yep that's right because i can get more out of him right because and of his ability to to improve his potential, but the That's lazy right. kid, and I tell you what, man, you've got. I I think that it's it's almost axiomatic that the best athletes, the the freaks, thirty eight, forty inch verticals, those are the guys that will not work because they've never had to. I've seen it with my well, kids. No, I've seen and, it yeah. with my kids. And the ones that do are, are the actual spectacular people that everybody knows. You know, yeah, you the, already the know The ones those that have guys, both they, the talent and the work ethic. And the work you ethic. Know, you know those guys. They're, yeah. they're famous and they're, you know. Making a bunch of money. Yep. But your little kids, I mean, if you've got a, if you got a bunch of little kids back there in the Olympic lifting room, mm -hmm. you can immediately tell. Oh, yeah, you can, yeah. What their potential is going to be. Oh, yeah. Lindsay's little kid, he's... If he can keep his mind right, he's going to be a fucking monster when he gets older. Right. He is just explosive. He's just an obnoxious little shit right <laughs> That's now. That's the problem. <laughs> he's but he's he'll, focused. And maybe he'll grow out of that, you know. And, it, 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 you know, you can tell the potential of, it, of the athletic potential of a child if you know what to look for. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, But going back to what you, you know, and about the Bulgar Nick. The Bulgarians, I'm telling you, mm -hmm. these guys, had that was a science. Yeah. 
back in the 80s, before the fall of the... Because even though the Bulgarian, that, that Bulgaria was within the Soviet communist bloc, there were rivalries between the countries mm-hmm. in terms of weightlifting. And what the Bulgarians would do is that very thing. They'd run around to all the elementary schools and put, they assembled a battery of tests, mm-hmm. looked at vertical jumps and reaction time and all that stuff, and they would, they would find the kids that had the potential. And then they would offer the kids the opportunity with their parents to go to the sports school. Yeah. So they separated them and worked on them from from pre-adolescence mm-hmm. through Tanner stage five. Yeah. And they were good at this. And that's why the Bulgarians beat everybody's ass in weightlifting back back in the 80s and 90s. And, that's, and the, that's also why the Bulgarian method doesn't work for everybody. No, no, it doesn't <laughs> That's work exactly for, why it It's doesn't. exactly why it doesn't work for everybody. That's absolutely true. But that's a that's a separate discussion. Yeah. I guess we can go ahead and have that since it's my show. Okay. Right? Party. <laughs> Isn't the monkey cute today, though, with his little buddy? Bok choy. Bok choy. He's a good little boy. So here is a deal. If you've got a 36-inch vertical jump, or God help you, a 38- or 40-inch vertical jump, you have called more motor units into contraction than a guy with a 22. Now, this this is not material to just the test, all right? It's material to the training effect of explosive activity, all right? If I've got a 22-inch vertical jump and all I am able to contract in that vertical jump, is 25% of my motor units because my nerves are shitty and my sarcomeres are shitty and everything about me is shitty, right? (laughs) Do you see the difference between the training effect of performing a snatch between that guy and this guy way over here with a a 40-inch vertical jump? You see the difference in the training effect. In other words, a snatch doesn't take very long, but the guy with a 40-inch vertical jump is actually contracting more of his muscle mass during the execution of the snatch than this guy over here with a 22-inch vertical jump. Right? You clearly see that the training effect from... For those two guys of the same exercise is different, all right? Now, if you have selected for people with freak vertical jumps, and that's all that's on your Olympic weightlifting team, well, you might be under the impression that you don't need to deadlift, right? Because heavy snatches and heavy cleaning jerks work you in a different way than they would work the guy with the 22-inch vertical jump. Well, so, not under the impression they actually don't. I mean, they'd be a good idea, but they actually don't because I mean, they would they win at that it, with with that amount of training. Yes. 
So in fact, they do. No, the problem but it's is it's a function of who's of course, in the locker room. The problem room. is when that gets extrapolated to the rest of the guys. That's, this who, is who exactly it doesn't apply the to. problem with countries. Oh, I don't. I don't want to name a country like this, but where Olympic weightlifting is not as important mm-hmm. to their Olympic program as another country and. As a result, they don't have access to the athletic talent right. that, for example, Bulgaria does. Yep. You know, the Chinese have one and a half billion people to make a team out of. They can probably find a whole bunch of real strong freak athletes to put on that team. Doesn't matter how you train them. Right. But if you don't have the option of exercising that kind of control over the genetics of the roster, then you have got to figure something else out, don't you? Right? And if you don't think that a 700 deadlift contributes in a positive way to a 450 clean, I don't know how to talk to you. I don't. I, I don't have conversation. Have, have a conversation with you about that because you're not very bright. Another way to say that, you know? which is which, might be less <coughs> offensive to these dumb fucks. That's, that's is, very important. Is that is that the guy who has the 450 clean and has never deadlifted before is not that far off from a 700 deadlift. He's already doing. He's the already there. Even he's if already he's never doing done a 700 it. deadlift now. He could get to an 800 deadlift with a little work, in fact. and that would improve his clean. Yep. But if he's winning anyway, why? why would it occur to his coaches to do that right. to him? That's right. Well, you've got to understand that if that's not who's on your team, that you're going to have to do something to make F go up. And how do you make F go up? You add five pounds a week to his deadlift. So what you're saying now is— Now, that's not complicated. So what you're saying is elite athletes need to be trained different than your average person. No, what I'm saying is elite athletes can, do whatever can be want. trained differently than your average there person. You yeah. okay. Everybody needs to be stronger. Okay. It's not as crucial for somebody mm-hmm. with a 40-inch vertical because he's already strong. Yeah. Right? right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. If, the, if the Chinese had any sense. Yeah, look, look at it this way. All right. Now. This may, by the time this thing goes to air, maybe I'm going to be wrong about this. <laughs> but a 266 kilo cleaning jerk has never been beaten since 1988. Taranenko did 266 in 1988. Now, do you know of another sport in which? A, a world record was 35 years old. I think they break the sprint, you know, the 100-meter sprint, like every four years. Every other sport yeah. seems to have a better grasp on how to train people. Yeah. And here we are talking about elite, mm-hmm. elite lifters, right. Mm-hmm. right? These are freaks. Yeah. Yep. I, I guess you know? what I'm get what I was getting to is. People who train elite athletes that sell that program to average people and say, hey, if you do right. this, 
then you're going to perform like this. You want to look like Dave Draper, you got to train like Dave Draper. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Right, right. Guess what? You're not going to look like Dave Draper if you train like Dave Draper because Dave Draper is Dave Draper. Mm -hmm. All right? Body, there is no better example of this than bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. Bodybuilders are born, they're not trained. They've got big, fat muscle bellies. They got long muscle insertions. They have naturally thin skin, and they respond very, very quickly to anabolic steroids. This, these are all genetic traits. Bodybuilders are born; they're not produced. If you don't have capstone deltoids when you're 12 years old, you're not going to be a bodybuilder. Okay, <laughs> it's genetics. It's all there is to it, and. If you uh, don't think that that applies to all other sports, then you're just, man, I don't know. Maybe, you, maybe you're a member of NASM. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch of stupid people yeah. running around, yeah. you know. But this is really, this is just simple arithmetic. Mm-hmm. The power equation is so fucking important. And... It's all just right there. F is the trainable variable in the power equation. Don't worry about the other two. Right. All right? Don't worry about the other two. If all the kids on your team have got average 22, 24, 26, 28-inch vertical jumps, you could still improve their power. You get their squat and their deadlift and their press up. And then you have them practice exploding under the bar with the snatch and the clean and jerk and the power clean. That's a, that's, you can make it more complicated like that if you want to. And I realize I'm selling this, right? I'm the one selling this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm selling a product too, right? And it has to be. But as always refute the argument but you're also not using don't insult me for being fat refute <laughs> the argument but you're also okay. not using professional athletes to sell a strength and conditioning program. i don't care about professional athletes yes. i have said this this is what these fucking power lifters just don't seem to understand now i'll go ahead and say uh, uh, carl ragavon sent me this thing the other day <clears throat> it, was, it was fairly amusing but it's I mention it because it's so uh, uh, common for powerlifters to make this uh, make this mistake. Uh, what's the guy's name? Matt Winning. Yes. Matt Winning. Pretty good lifter, right? And he's at a a conference sponsored by the NSCA. He apparently doesn't care much about who he hangs around with. And uh, somebody asked him a question about the way we squat, and he gets all flustered. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, you had to, you had to open the question. And th- this is recorded back in 2017. This is old news. Yeah. Right. But I had never seen it before because I, I, I don't care, and I, you know. And it, he he said, how many – Elite lifters, how many elite power lifters squat the way Mark Ripito teaches to squat? 
Well, all of the good ones. Yeah. But that's not because I taught them how. Now, try to follow me here. I didn't teach them how to do it our way. Our way is the best way to squat, and that's the way they squat, too, and that's why they're strong. They just don't understand it. They, they don't get it doesn't matter doing. whether they understand it or not. You squat with your hips. Karwaski squatted with his hips. No, I'm saying that they can't you know? explain it. They Ed squatted with his hips. They, But they think that if I don't teach the same things to elite powerlifters, to, to my people that elite powerlifters do, that elite powerlifters are so fucking important for some reason, that I should be concerned with how they do things. I don't give a fuck about elite power lifters. What do, what earthly purpose do they serve? There's about 80 of them in the world. I think it's I'm a- concerned about the elite power lifters grandmother. I don't want her to have to use her hands to get up off the pot. I want to keep her out of the rest home. I don't care about elite power lifters. From a strictly business standpoint, why would I involve myself with the sport of power lifting? What earthly relevance does it hold for anybody? If I'm going to teach everybody to squat this far above parallel with an $800 suit on, what do I care about? That's pointless. And none of this, none of these big power lifters with you know big old head about like that looks like a flat basketball and shit. <laughs> None of them, none of them seem to understand what we actually do. We don't do powerlifting. We don't care about powerlifting. We happen to use the squat, but we go below parallel with it. We happen to bench press. We happen to deadlift, but we don't sumo. Right? The sport of powerlifting is the furthest thing from my mind at any point during the day. I don't ever want to see another powerlifting meet. I've been in them. I competed in it for 10 years. I judged them. I announced them. I've got a lot of experience, a lot more experience with powerlifting than the vast majority of these people who say that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. All right? But I don't care about powerlifting because it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help older people it doesn't help insurance salesmen it doesn't have anybody that just needs to be stronger powerlifting doesn't teach any of those people anything better than what we do so it doesn't matter about what powerlifters think about what i do is it is irrelevant it's irrelevant. They might as well be talking about the best way to jump off of a fucking cliff. Because it doesn't matter to what we do. We don't care about what an elite powerlifter thinks about the way I teach the squat. The way we teach the squat works. It works better than the way they teach the squat. For the people that we are teaching the squat to. Is that is that clear? Uh, who gives a shit about I'm, Matt winning? You're you're I, missing I what, you're missing the hilarious irony that Matt winning or whatever the fuck his name is is giving a talk, and someone asks him about you. Yes, 
Who, nobody's ever asked you about Matt fucking winning. Nobody's yeah. ever somebody's asked me asking about him, Matt winning. And this guy, this guy who's there giving a talk about a guy who sold three quarters of a million books and has gyms opening all over the country, asking right. Matt winning about about his what he thinks about, about what you teach about something. It's fantastic. That, that, it's great that I teach that he doesn't know anything about. It's great. He's never been to our seminar. Good. I doubt he's read the book. I hope, I hope more people ask him about Mark Ripito. It would be, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, anytime he does a Q&A, one person. Hey, hey Matt, Matt. <laughs> what about Ripito? No, no, not that again. Oh, my God. When did Ripito ever squat 1,000 pounds? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> See, my PR was only 600 for a triple below parallel without a suit on. <laughs> it's not the same. Irrelevant. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Right? Completely irrelevant. I'll read Matt Winning's book when it comes out. Yeah, I will, too. I'll go right out and get that. Okay. <laughs> can you can the write? Knowledge. Can you write? The knowledge. <laughs> Powerlifters. All right, now, we've beaten the piss out of that. Let's, uh, uh... Oh, he's got another paragraph here. The whole podcast reminded me of a question I sent in a few months ago about some dude on Twitter bragging about his athletes squat jumping, jumping with a weight on their back, and my wondering why not just squat and then jump or clean to practice explosion. The man, who is a top-tier, top-tier <laughs> college strength and conditioning coach, probably just couldn't coach the thing. No, he doesn't know how to coach the clean. More importantly, he doesn't care how many of his athletes he hurts. Because yeah. jumping with a bar on your back, off the ground and landing with a bar on your back, back on the ground after having jumped is an excellent way to fuck stuff up. But, hey, what do you care? Or they do it you with just such get a, another kit. Yeah, they do it with such a light weight. It doesn't fucking matter. They do it with 225. Yeah. At 135, still doesn't matter. You run the risk of hurting sure. kids. And more importantly, for the reasons we have spent about a half hour talking about, you don't make them stronger doing that stupid shit. All you do is risk hurting them. I love when people I mean, ask us why, why somebody else does dumb shit. Because they're not as smart as we are. <laughs> yeah. And what's the other answer? Yeah. You know? What other know. answer could there be? I don't know why people you know? do the shit that they because do. Because people are stupid. Yeah. You know? Haven't you learned anything over the past year and a half? People are stupid. The vast majority of the human race is a bunch of fucking morons. I mean, that guy. That guy's not... Over and the, over. The and guy over. having his, his athletes jumping squat doesn't think that he's doing anything bad. In fact, he thinks he's doing oh. the most cutting-edge strength yes. and conditioning on the face of the earth. Uh, that's what he thinks. It's a it's a surface understanding of anything that's going on. It's just you know this this is what I think and I think it's awesome and it's going to work. And, and then it's, all and of the confirmation bias that goes with that. And we got this. Yeah. So there's, there's we got there's this. No, we don't need Ripito explaining anything to us because after all, is Ripito a D one strength and conditioning coach? No, he's not. Okay. So shut up. You don't even have a CSCS. <laughs> Gonna listen to you. No, I don't have a CSCS. Yeah, who's gonna listen to you? I do not have a CSCS because I told him to go get fucked in '09. I know a guy who had a CSCS 
with a D for distinction. D. Do you, you know about that? The yeah, D for I know. distinction. That means he's published a paper. Very so. proud. He's very proud. He published a paper in the NSCA's journal. Probably about kettlebells, I'm sure. Kettlebells. Yep. They're jumping squats or some shit. Or how to periodize your sit ups. <laughs> you think I'd be in front of No, no, I know. There, there, know. there is in the literature, the literature, a paper about how to periodize, which is, you know, Matt Veo's undulating periodization, your sit ups. Good. Good. Let them stay still. Can you imagine a, a, something that more thoroughly misses the fucking point? Jesus. Hey, that's good. That keeps the prices high for us. If you get everybody sure all of a sudden does. doing reasonable shit and you get personal hey, trainers fuck, we're out of business. at $20 an hour teaching barbell training, we're fucked. We're fucked. We're out of business. Let them keep doing dumb shit. Uh, let's see. Eric, I think this is Eric Winicky, but it's spelled incorrectly here. <laughs> How did you get your house built? There's surprisingly little information about building with rocks. I assume you had to go outside of normal contractors. The idea of building something like this that would last forever and is bulletproof appeals to us. Well, it's a pretty cool topic. Yeah, it might be actually, a whole show I'll by tell itself. you. I'll tell you how that happened. All right, this is in 1999. I bought that little piece of property out there, and I've I'd always liked riprap. Now, riprap is for those of you that don't know what that is, is the big pieces of rock that you see lining the sides of a stream bed to stabilize it. That's called riprap. R I P R A P. Riprap is in this part of the country is limestone because it comes from most of it comes from three or four quarries that are around here and and it's crushed and they run the crushed limestone through a sieve the big pieces are are riprap the little pieces are gravel okay so they sort them for size and they sell all of it and it's cheap it's very cheap it's not architectural stone which has been shaped and stuff. This is this is just riprap. And I had never seen anything made out of riprap, but I thought back in 99, you know, I think I'll build this house out of riprap. Why not? You know, it'll look cool. I'll never have to paint it. And I can't think of anything I hate worse than painting oh, shit. Yeah, so sucks. I don't want to paint it. So I went around to... Uh, I consulted two different architects about this. And architects are geniuses. They know everything <laughs> about design and construction. Everything. And both of these guys advised me, well, you want to make a, a house out of it? Well, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to build a frame house. And you're going to have to put, put uh, uh, masonry hangers on that little pieces of metal. And you make a veneer out of your riprap. And I said, why do I have to have a frame house? You don't think the stone will stand up by itself? And I said, well, how are you going to get it square? Well, with a level and a plumb bob. What do you mean, how am I going to get it square? Same way they square up the frame. 
Yeah, it's never been done before. It's just, you know, you do, what you need to do is you need to build this frame house and you need to put the stone on the frame. And I had two of them told me the same damn thing. So uh, I went to a stonemason, Mexican guy, that came highly recommended and had done a bunch of work around here locally. And I, I told him that. Uh, now, they said this shit as, that, if, as if nobody's ever made a wall out of stone. Right. It's fucking amazing. They just, they, yeah. That's what they see. Right. Right. It's like doctors. They just see this. And, uh, you know, I, I've, look, I've seen castles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've seen pictures of castles. <laughs> right. So I went to this guy and, and, uh, and I, I said, this is what I want to do. And he said, well, all right. And I said, this, there's two ways we could do this. We could make a, a frame or a, a masonry block, cinder block structure and put, put rock on the outside of it, make a veneer. Or what we could do is this. We could run a course of stone masonry, not like that. You know, not not too tall so it won't collapse. On we pour a big footing. We pour a a, a two foot wide by three foot deep footing, so it holds the weight up. Bunch of concrete in the footing. Put a bunch of rebar in the footing and stuff. And then we and we put the uh, the stone masonry on top of that footer. And we we build we make a course of stone. We leave a gap. And then we make another course of stone. So you got inside stone, outside stone, and a gap in the middle. And then what we're going to do is we're going to make up a batch of concrete out of pea gravel, not normal aggregate, but pea gravel so it'll roll and the bubbles will come out of it, and pour concrete into the gap. So you've got... Stone, concrete, stone. Regular stone masonry with mortar. And then we do that until we, we just do that in, in courses until we get up to eight and a half foot walls. And he said, I, I said, which of those things do you think sounds like the best way to do this? And he thought about it and he said, I've never done it your way, but I think I'd like to try it like that. And that damn thing has, I, it's, it hadn't, we've been through bad droughts and, and floods and everything else, and that thing has not shifted a millimeter. That's pretty cool. In the 22 years it's been standing there. And it is a cool house, and it always surprises me that nobody else has come out there and looked at that and wanted to build one like it because it's cheap. Riprap is still cheap. And a stonemason can make a nice, flat, pretty wall out of riprap. I mean, you've seen the barn. You've yep. seen the house. Yeah, looks it's good. a nice-looking structure, you know. Yep. And it can't burn. It can't blow away. You know, now you got to do some planning. Because you can't saw holes in the wall to do your electrical. You've got to get all that stubbed in first. 
your plumbing, you better have that worked out. You know, so all of that stuff has got to be thought about real hard before you start doing this. Because this is a permanent structure, but it's cheap. Uh, my electric bill, this has been a very cool summer. Some of you have noticed that the global warming thing is not <laughs> particularly convincing this year. Here it is. What's today? 19th? Yeah, the 20th. 20 July. And when I got out of my car and walked in the building here, it was 88 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's say last year, it was 100 degrees a few days in July and August. 105 is normal here. That's normal. Yep. It's always 105 here in the summer. My most expensive electric bill in the house last year was about 150 bucks, and I kept it at 74 degrees. It's a heat sink. So the walls are two feet thick? Yeah, the walls are 18 inches thick. Yeah. Now, if I had this to do over again, I would pour bigger footings, and I'd make two-foot thick walls. Yeah. I'd make 24-inch walls. It's a exactly cool house. what I would do. It's a very cool house. Yeah. The only thing that would make it cooler is if you had one corner of it just be glass. So you could see out yeah. the back pasture. Yeah. That really would be neat. neat. Have... Uh, have a, a little more of a view yep. out of the house. It's too small, really. I, it's fifteen hundred square foot, but for our purposes, it's fine. Yep. I would so love two, to, I would love to build a house like yours. Absolutely love it. Two, it's, it's two ab, architects it's, told you essentially it couldn't be done. Couldn't be done. Couldn't be this done. This is nah, the problem. I, I was talking like about this with somebody the other day, but it's the, you know the this everybody's a specialist now. You know, yeah. There's a specialization, and it makes people very narrow minded. And they know exactly what they know. And then the problem with being a specialist is that then they try to move into other things and look at things a different way, and they literally cannot do it. You know, they, they can't do it. They can't abandon it takes, the premise yeah, and, under which they labor. And, and we're becoming more and more specialized. And it, and it takes a lot of times people who are outsiders to uh, look at shit from different right. disciplines and realize that it's all fucked up. Right. You know, that uh, that uh, the way you guys are doing things is wrong. Or, or the you, explanation, the it, models that exist are not right. And there's no better example of that problem than when you have somebody that you really care about in the hospital. That's right. Because those people, there are eight or nine different factions dealing with your patient that's exactly right none of whom know what any of the other ones are doing yeah you know you go in the hospital you had better damn sure have a smart person with you right that can manage the case from the outside because the surgeon doesn't know what the infectious disease guy knows, what the nursing staff knows. It's a great example. It, it's, it's a great example. It, the, uh, in, in, in today's age, with as much information as out there, it, there's a tendency for everything to become more specialized, and there's huge value in having people who can fucking take a step back and look at different factors and put right. it together. Right. That, that don't necessarily don't know, know all of the technical that details. That don't know shit about the, the technical details. Right. That's right. Exactly. Yep. But uh, it's a, can see how everything fits together. It's a skill because that's lost. The, the the one guy sees this. He doesn't see this. Right. What you're talking about is critical thinking. Well, not really. I mean, it's it's just integration. It's it, integration. Yeah. 
And you know, and and everybody used to value the Renaissance man who knew a bunch of shit about everything and was pretty good at a lot of things. But that's that's what we've lost. You yeah, know, you don't have people who we've are lost him who can that's look right. at a lot of things and make some logical fucking decisions we, because right. everything's got to be peer reviewed and it's got to be. But who's peer reviewing your stuff? Just more fucking specialists. more fucking dumbasses. Yeah, more specialists that are <laughs> more very specialists. good at one thing and not good at anything right. else. You know, it's right. uh, yeah. I mean, oh we're, God, we're fucked. I, Long time ago, I submitted a paper about periodization to the NSCA's little bullshit journal, and uh, the premise of the paper was that you you don't periodize novices. You just add five pounds of the bar, and the further along in training you go, the more critical variation in the training becomes. But at first, it's stupid to do anything except just add weight add five pounds to the squat three days a week everything else is a complete absolute waste of time and potential and the review people rejected the paper jesus because it said if you don't understand the importance of periodization then you don't understand anything about strength and conditioning well there you go there you have it yep you're disagreeing with us yeah even though what you're saying makes perfect logical sense, right. it doesn't matter. Yep. Just dismiss it. Because we know. Yeah. We got this. Yeah. Yeah. People don't the, – the, the, That was very educational. Yeah. People, people don't realize that anybody who's an expert should be treated as a consultant, and yes. that's it. They have information of value on one thing, and it's up to you to figure out how to integrate into your situation. So, it, you know, it requires more out of us. Yeah, out of the person receiving that's what they don't like. That's exactly right. That's what they don't yeah. like. You know, yeah. they want some, they want to, they don't want to be responsible. Yep. Right. They want somebody else to be responsible because, right. after all, that's what you're paying for. Right? Yeah. right. No, you don't get that luxury. You can't ever cede responsibility for your own shit to somebody else. Yep. I know you do it all the time, but it's a real bad idea. All right. Oh, here's another power question. I guess we could probably stay with this. Uh, On one side, I preach into the choir. Strength benefits outweighs every silly bullshit moving for someone. It's a narrow, casted net, but when someone dedicates the time, it will change their life as it is done for most of us. On the other side, if you rely on clients' money... And they're not happy with only doing strength. It's not affordable to let them go because they don't want to get strong only. This isn't what was said during the episode. It's an example. If you have enough money to fire clients that complain, that's great. But if I'm coaching someone out of my basement, for example, I don't see a strong argument against giving them that dose of what they need and sprinkling in some silly bullshit to make them feel good. Key here is feelings. As much as we can state with factual evidence that silly bullshit is a waste of time, the human condition and perception for most people will always rule by their feelings. I put it in quotes because I think it's stupid to judge a program by how you feel, but that's really most people. If we had to fire every client because they want to do silly bullshit, we wouldn't make extra money 
uh, to my side hustle. Instead, I try to give them what they need and also what they want because that brings continuous revenue. The way I've done it is some of it is to separate the training days into two parts. I use terms they're familiar with to persuade them better. So he basically... He's making an argument for letting people do what they want instead right. of tell instead of right. doing what they're paying you to tell them who's the coach right you are the client well if you're in a situation where you have to let the client be the coach then this is always just going to be a side hustle for you yeah right okay when you graduate to the status of a professional coach then you graduate to the point where you make the decisions because you're the coach. They don't make the decisions because they're paying you to make the decisions. All right? Now, if you're not confident that you're making the right decisions and a guy wants to do barbell curls today instead of squats, I'll just cash the check. But that's not coaching. That's not coaching. Coaching, uh, all right, let's say you got a plumbing leak. You call the plumber, and the plumber comes out and says, you know, this whole thing's designed wrong. We need to, I mean, you've got three leaks under your slab, and there's a whole bunch of shit that's going to have to be corrected here. Now, we can sleeve the things. Uh, we can jackhammer the slab up. There's all kinds of things we can do. And you say, well, let's do it my way. <laughs> and the plumber says, well, okay, do it your way. Thanks for the call. <laughs> the, now, the, you, 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 hire some, you hire a professional for their expertise. And one of the most aggravating things on the surface of the earth is somebody that hires a guy for his expertise and then won't pay any attention to what he's telling you. Right? We've all had jobs like that, right? Where we knew what the hell we were doing. We were hired because we knew what the hell we were doing. And then this micromanagement asshole who is in charge of us directly decides that we don't know what we're doing and we're going to do it his way. And it always fucks up. Yep. And he never gets the blame for that. See, we get the blame for that. That's hard to undo. What he's proposing is hard to undo, too. You never go from, you know, you've got a thing that you want to coach and that you think works, and you've got clients that are paying you, uh, and you do, like, let's say you squat, and then you let them do whatever else after they squat. So that's the compromise, right? You're going to do part of the program, and then you can do whatever after. Bunch of right. conditioning, whatever you want. But guess right. what? You're never going to end up doing what you want to do. You're right. always going to be that, that and because if, you're not going to convince anybody to do what you want them to do. If you if you cave in to the CrossFit, hot, sweaty, tired. I haven't done anything today unless I get hot, sweaty, tired. Despite the fact that you put 10 pounds on your deadlift, 5 pounds on your squat, 2 pounds on your press. Yep. But you didn't get hot, sweaty, and tired. You're never going to accomplish as much as if you did it your way because you know what works and what doesn't work. And if you let them undo the good part of the training 
that you have given them by doing their bad part of the training and nothing gets accomplished, guess who gets the blame for that? You do. You get the blame. Not everybody can be a client. Not everybody is qualified to be trained because not everybody is coachable. All right? Now, I understand you need the money. All right? And as long as you're a part-time amateur coach, doesn't really matter. Charge more and have less clients. Charge more, have fewer clients, and move in the direction of a professional. All right? Be a professional coach, not a training partner or a babysitter. Most, most personal trainers are babysitters. Yep. I watched this for years. You know, personal trainer, you know, standing by the leg press while the client wiggled their feet around in the air, talking about irrelevant bullshit between – Oh, you know, it's doing not, what the client wanted to do. It's not uncommon work. now to see the trainer texting or messing around on their phone while the client's on the machine. Yeah. You go in a commercial gym, you see that shit all the time. Yeah, we were. This is before that. Yeah, before that era. But uh, you, uh, you have got to, you, you've got to decide what you want to do. I guess that's what I'm saying. Do you want to be a professional coach or not? Right. If you want to continue to fuck around in your basement, then do whatever you need to do to make what little bit of money you're going to make doing it like that. All right. Or you can learn more about this, become more confident in your approach, come to our seminar. Look, Ripto's selling something. <laughs> come to our seminar, learn how to organize your thoughts about training, learn how to coach, learn the movement patterns and why they're done this way. Learn how to coach them, learn how to correct them, and then charge more money because you, then you'll be worth more money. And right. an important part of learning to be a coach too is 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 being convincing the the psychology aspect of it, you know. You can have people walk in and just tell them, "Yeah, we'll do this thing," and then we'll compromise and do this other thing. But if if you're serious about coaching, you want to be a coach. You have to learn how to talk to people and how to be convincing and and match what you offer to their goals. Well, you're holding yourself back, in other words, and, by, and, by and just here's doing a, it this Here's way. another little thing that you may have to learn how to do. If your client base is composed of people like you describe, lie to them. Lie to, load, learn to load the bar in confusing ways so that they don't know <laughs> that they're going up five pounds today on their squat. All two and a halfs. You know, that really looks heavy. Well, it's the same weight you did last week. It's exactly the same weight you did this week. Just get under the bar. Just just do one rep for me. Yeah. Do one rep for me. All right, get under the bar. They take it out. Go down. Man, this feels heavy. Ah, it would look fine to me. Do another one. You know, just browbeat them through a set of five with five more pounds. You can learn how to do that. It's done all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it that said lies make the world go round? <laughs> Don't tell the truth all the time. That's stupid. <laughs> You're trying to make your client stronger, and they don't want to get stronger. You can either fire the client or you can lie to them about five more pounds on the bar. Those are your choices. All right. Just tell them you're using a 40-pound bar this week. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is a, oh, this is a bar. different bar. <laughs> it only weighs 40 it pounds. It only weighs 40 pounds. The one we used last week weighed 45. So actually, this is five yeah. pounds lighter. It's a titanium bar. It's a titanium. <laughs> it's much. It just got it in. Okay. How do I prevent knee slide at the bottom of the squat? I use the two bows when warming up, but once I take away those, the knee slide returns. Well, you're not learning very well, are you? <laughs> You, you understand that the knee bone is connected to the hip bone. And the reason we don't want your knees to slide forward at the bottom of the squat is because we want you to use your hips to squat, not your knees. So in order to do that, you're going to have to feel something different. When, when you get hit, here's an here's a, a axiom. This is axiomatic, all right? If you make a form change, in a client, for example, you, you get a guy in, in the, I got a guy in the seminar, for example, and, and the guy's squatting with his knees. He's doing a front squat. He's doing a high bar squat. He's just bending his knees, squatting down, standing back up with his chest. I'm going to have to make him feel completely different when he squats than he's used to feeling, right? So I'll put him in position of a, a more horizontal back angle where he's actually got access to the big muscles of the posterior chain so he can squat more weight with his hips, right? And then I go up 50 pounds for the next set. You know what he's going to do every single time? He's going to go back to the way he did it previously because it's the movement pattern he knows. And when the weight goes up, he's going to revert to the uncorrected, previously familiar movement pattern. You have to fight with him every step of the way to stay bent over, stay in the hips, stay in the hips, because he's going to go back to his knees if you don't do it like that. Every time the weight goes up, the correction will come undone. If you, the coach, are not standing there yelling at him and reinforcing the correction. You have to reinforce the correction every single time. Now, if you're doing this by yourself, it's harder. But it can be done. You just remember what I'm telling you, okay? All right, here will be the last question. Uh, kid named Jason says, once grip becomes a limiting factor on deadlift, how do I still train my grip? I'm continuing to deadlift with straps. To keep the weight going up, but eventually I'd like to do a meet. I'm 5'9", 235, and pulling 455 for a set of five with straps. But I can only hold on to about 405 for a set of three. That is because you are doing 405 for three with a double overhand grip. Not a hook, not an alternate grip, but 405 for a set of three. Right? At my advanced age, I can pull one rep off the floor with 405 with a plain, unhooked, double overhand grip. But if I am going up heavy, I will either use straps or I will use an alternate grip. Now, there's nothing wrong with an alternate grip, okay? I understand that the hook hurts. You may not want to do it. But there's nothing wrong with doing an alternate grip. You've got to hold on to the bar. You know, if you're going to go to a powerlifting meet, you, you can't take your straps. So you're either going to have to learn how to hook 
or you're going to have to learn how to use an alternate grip. You know, one hand supine, one hand prone. The bar will, what would not come off the floor will fly up in the air. If you remove the, the variable of the bar coming out of your hands from a double overhand grip, don't be afraid to use an alternate grip. There's nothing wrong with it at all. You know, that's not a very big deadlift for a guy your size. Maybe you hadn't been trained very long, but uh, if you will do all of your warm-up sets with a double overhand grip and then do whatever you need to do with your work set, you need to learn how to use the alternate grip. Then when it, if you want to go to a powerlifting meet, you'll know how to use it. I don't know that there's necessarily anything wrong with doing your work set with straps if you want to do that, but you have to get pretty close to that with an alt, with an over, double overhand grip. And if you'll do all warm-ups, except the work set, with a double overhand grip, your grip is getting stronger as you get stronger because the last warm-up goes up, right? But don't, don't be afraid to use it alternate grip on your deadlifts there's not a damn thing wrong with it it enables you to lift weights off the floor that you can't lift with a double overhand grip and that's what we're trying to do is deadlift big numbers okay well <laughs> he's so cute he's the cutest monkey on earth and his little buddy kimchi i mean bok choy bok choy not kimchi bok choy Bok choy. Kimchi is sometimes made of bok choy. Yeah. Yep. So I'm not. You're not way off. Not way off. Yeah. I love kimchi. I do too. God, it's good. Oh, God, I love it. There's a place in Vegas that we uh, were getting getting some food, and they had some great kimchi there. Kimchi is so goddamn good. It's just, man, I don't know why it has that silly-ass reputation among stupid people. What's the reputation? It stinks. Oh. Well. It stinks. Not everything that tastes good smells good, too. Yeah. Have you not figured that out yet? I don't think it smells bad. Those people don't eat cheese. I, I, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think it smells bad yeah. myself. But then again, I love haggis. I've never had haggis. Oh, God, it's the best shit you've ever had. It's so good. Haggis, tatties, neeps, What's gravy. in haggis? What is it? Tatties, is it neeps. liver? It's got liver in it. It's sheep liver and... Oatmeal and spices. <laughs> I wish the camera could see Bree's face. <laughs> yeah, it's not something Bree would even pronounce. What is the thing they have in the like in Louisiana? Uh, the boudin. sausage boudin. What's, what's boudin? In that? Same thing. It's similar. Those types of foods are called puddings. Yeah. When you make when you mix meat and meal grains. Yep. Then you've got a pudding. Mm. People think a pudding is like chocolate pudding. Right. That's not the original use of the term. The pudding is a mixture of meat and grain. And Scottish haggis was originally made in a sheep stomach for the for the 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 membrane for the for the sausage casing. Yep. But it's got uh, oh, it's got suet and uh, mutton and liver and oatmeal, cayenne pepper, onions. Few ways to make it, but it's so good, and it, everybody thinks that it's nasty because people are stupid. People are just stupid. 
And that's a good way to close the show. <laughs> we'll see you next week right here on Starting Strength Radio.